Welcome to Watchmen on the Wall, a daily outreach of Southwest Radio Ministries and SWRC.com. I want to begin the program today by saying thank you to everyone that attended our Central Florida Prophecy Conference this past weekend. We had a wonderful time enjoying all the different speakers and making some new friends. Thank you to Cornerstone Baptist Church in Lakeland, Florida for hosting the conference. A brand new week of bringing clarity to the chaos starts right now with our host, Dr. Larry Spargimino and Derek Gilbert, looking at the mysteries that are currently being revealed. Did you know that there are modern cults that venerate Saturn? They're going to produce a new golden age of humans commingling with gods. Now, what does all of this have to do with the return of the Watchers? What does it all have to do with what we read of in Derek Gilbert's new book, The Second Coming of Saturn? Derek, thank you so much for being with us once again. Larry, again, it's an honor. You bring up so many topics in all of your books, and certainly in The Second Coming of Saturn, we could spend hours and hours, but let's talk about the iniquity of the Amorites, Genesis 15, 13 through 16 where it says, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. Now, I don't think we can understand something like this unless we know the historical and cultural background. It's like some of the things that are mentioned in the New Testament. You know, everyone had their ideas. They took a few shots at it and missed the target. But then Dr. Michael Heiser came along with all of his knowledge of the backstory and brought it into focus. So I think you can do a great job, and you do do a great job on the iniquity of the Amorites. What's the backstory, and what does that all say to us? That was a verse that always puzzled me, and so I started doing some study on the Amorites and who they were. They're well known to scholars. They basically dominated the lands of the Bible, everything from southern Turkey to western Iran, even into northern Egypt during the time of the patriarchs, from about 2000 B.C. to about 1500 B.C., the Amorites controlled all of that, what we consider today uh, modern Iraq, Kuwait, Mm -hmm. Jordan, Syria, Israel, Lebanon, and again, southern Turkey, northern Egypt, all of that was under the control of Amorites, even down into uh, Arabia. Their system of worship involved the veneration of what they thought were their ancestors, the ancestral dead, and especially their ancestral kings. Those were the Rephaim. And we've found through our research that the Rephaim were not invented by Moses to demonize the people they were trying to push out of Canaan. They were worshipped by the Canaanites, who are just Amorites by a different name. The key to understanding why this is so abhorrent to God is that these demons were actually the spirits of the Nephilim destroyed in the flood of Noah. Mm -hmm. The reason God sent the flood was to wipe them out and then their parents, the Sons of God, referenced in Genesis chapter 6, verses 1 through 4, they're confined in the netherworld. They'll be let out right at the end of the Great Tribulation, Revelation 9, those locust things that come out of the abyss. Demons are still with us. And this is the understanding of not just the Jews of the Second Temple period, which means Jesus and the Apostles, but also the early Church through about the first 400 years after the Resurrection. You read the early Church Fathers, all of them understood not just the origin of demons being these sons of God, but the connection between the gods of the Greeks and the Romans and the Phoenicians and the Egyptians, etc., etc., to these fallen angels. In other words, the early church understood that Zeus and Aphrodite and Apollo and Ares, these entities were real, but they were fallen angels. 
And then you've got the older entities called the Titans by the Greeks and the Romans who were confined in the netherworld. Those are the watchers of Hebrew religion, those sons of God from Genesis chapter 6. Well, the fact is the demons have continued to influence humanity, and I argue in the book, The Second Coming of Saturn, that they essentially are doing the bidding of their progenitors, their fathers, if you will, who are still in the abyss. And we see this evidenced in our world today by the fact that the number one, let me preface this by saying that the most commonly known characteristic of the king of the Titans, Saturn, Kronos, the Phoenicians called him Baal Haman, and I show in the book that the Canaanites, the god the Canaanites called El, who was their creator god, was also known by the epithet Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites in the time of Solomon, but the Hebrews called him Molech. Mm. Molech is Saturn, is Kronos, is this entity. Right. He is best known as the god to whom the Israelites, the Phoenicians, and people around the ancient world, the Carthaginians, sacrificed their children. Just like in the Greek myth and in the Roman myth, Saturn, Kronos, known for eating his children so they would not rise up and depose him, which they ultimately did. Right. Today, we see that the number one cause of death worldwide is abortion, the destruction of children. 42.7 million children killed in the womb in 2020. That is more than double, double the number of deaths from cancer, HIV, AIDS, traffic fatalities, smoking, and alcohol abuse combined. Mm. So I would argue that this is the iniquity of the Amorites, the sacrifice, the slaughter of our children in service of this entity still taking place in this world today. And the veneration of the ancestral spirits is treated by most of us in the church today as sort of a cultural thing. The Day of the Dead celebrated in Mexico. Well, that's just a cultural celebration. The practice of saying their names during protests here on the streets of America. Actually, that is a key element of the ancient Amorite ritual. Saying the name and pouring out a drink offering was the way the Amorites venerated what they thought were the spirits of their ancestors 4,000 years ago. We can trace this back to the sin of the watchers on Mount Hermon millennia ago, which the Amorites, for some reason, picked up and made a central part of their religion, and it's well documented in ancient Mesopotamia. By the time of Abraham, this was how they lived. They believed that every month they had to call their ancestors through a necromancy ritual and have a ritual meal. This continues today all over the world, from Africa to Asia, even here in the United States, this practice of presenting offerings to the deceased ancestors still continues to this day, and we can trace it back to the Nephilim and the Watchers of Genesis chapter 6. Well, you tie that in, I think, very well with the medium or the so-called Witch of Endor in the KJV used the ritual of the pit as in the NET. You go into the word ove has something to do with the underworld and the dead. Tell us about that and about we know her as the Witch of Endor. How does that fit into this picture? This was really interesting because there's another group of people who emerged in history even earlier than the Amorites. And it's not clear yet whether they influenced the Amorites or whether they're related to the Amorites. And these people are called the Hurrians. Mm -hmm. We see them in the Bible as the Horites. They emerge in the book of Genesis where the kings from the east in Genesis 14, Keterleomer and his group did battle with the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah. But on the way, they had to fight the Horites in the wilderness of Paran which is in the vicinity of Mount Sinai. They are all through the Bible. 
A couple of scholars from UCLA have found the oldest known Hurrian city. It's in northern Syria today. It's called Urkesh. And one of the central features of the worship there to the Hurrian version of this old god Saturn called Kumarbi involved a ritual pit, a hole that is almost 45 feet deep. They've only been able to excavate down to about 22 feet because of the structural integrity of the pit. They're afraid workers would get buried in there. But this god, Kumarbi, who had been condemned to the netherworld, just like Kronos, just like Saturn, just like El and Enlil and Dagon and Baal-Haman, same entity by different names, they would offer a sacrifice to summon this entity from the abyss, they would ask for a favor, and then they would send him back to the pit. The word that the Hurrians used for this ritual pit was the Abi, A-B-I. That's the origin of the Sumerian word Abzu, from which we get the word abyss. It's also the origin of the Hebrew word ov, which is usually translated into our English Bibles as medium, like the ov of Endor. But the New English translation, looking at more recent scholarship, said, you know, actually that word more properly or more accurately means ritual pit or owner of a ritual pit. And we remember in the story of the witch of Endor, the medium of Endor, when she summons the spirit of Samuel, which she wasn't expecting, which is why she cries out with a loud voice. She was expecting her familiar spirit. When Samuel appears, he emerges from the earth because he's rising from her ritual pit. So this is a practice that we can trace back through the Hurrian people and through their progenitors, a culture called the Kura Araxis civilization, because of a unique style of pottery that they are known for. We can trace this practice of summoning spirits from the netherworld back to the Ararat plain in the middle of the 5th millennium B.C., so about 4500 B.C., the Ararat plain, that's the plain below the mountains where the Ark of Noah came to rest. So we can trace this back archaeologically to within a few generations of the survivors of the Great Flood. Well, you've been connecting a lot of dots, no question about it. But we're going to jump ahead a couple of millennia to January the 6th, 2021. A group of protesters forced their way inside the Capitol. There was property damage, and there was the death of Ashley Babbitt. She's a 35-year-old Air Force veteran who was shot by a police officer when she tried to vault over the barricade into a restricted area. Now, it was described as a coup by domestic terrorists, but you say it was not that at all. And you make, on page 261 and following, you just dive into this and you pull so many things to the surface. Tell us a little bit about your research into that. Well, I've got to give credit to Sharon, my wife, who wrote about this for Tom Horn's book, Mm -hmm. Zeitgeist 2025. But what really struck her and why she began this research with that I built upon was the consistent references after the incident on January 6th by prominent politicians to the United States Capitol as America's temple or our Mm -hmm. temple of democracy and how it had been defiled or desecrated. It surprised me as I started researching this that the reason our capital is called the capital is because that's the name of the temple of Jupiter in Rome, the Capitolium. Now, remember, Jupiter, the storm god, is Zeus, is Baal. And in the Bible, Jesus equated Baal, Matthew 12, verses 22 through 26, and Zeus in Revelation 2, the letter to Pergamum, as Satan. So Jupiter is Satan, 
Our capital is called the capital because Thomas Jefferson insisted that it be called the capital. The architect mm. wanted to call it Congress House in 1799. At the time it was built, only one legislative body on earth met in a building called the Capitol, and that was the Virginia legislature in Williamsburg. So bear that in mind, that the United States Capitol is named for the Temple of Jupiter. The dome was inspired by the Pantheon in Rome, which is dedicated to all of the gods. The main feature of the dome on the Pantheon in Rome is the oculus, or the eye, mm -hmm. open to the sky, which represents the portal through which Caesar would rise to become one of the gods. Well, the United States Capitol also has an oculus. It doesn't open to the sky, but it opens to a painting called the Apotheosis of Washington. That yes. means Washington becoming a god. That's what's represented inside the dome of the United States Capitol, which again is named for the temple of Jupiter slash Satan. Well, January 6th, Sharon did some research on this and noted that January 6th is the day that we in the Christian Church have traditionally celebrated Epiphany, which is the day that we recognized that the three wise men arrived in Bethlehem and recognized the divinity of Jesus. In other words, it's the day that we celebrate the revelation of the divinity of Christ, God made flesh. And on that day, this group, led by the guy wearing the buffalo hat, the so-called mm. QAnon shaman, yes. desecrated our temple of democracy. And I go into this in the book, I also covered this quite a bit in my book, Last Clash of the Titans, that the imagery of bison or the bull is very significant here. The name of Kronos, King of the Titans, one of the other identities of Saturn, is based on the Hebrew word teren, which means horns. The word Titan originates not just with the Amorite tribe, the Tadanu, but with the Akkadian word for bison or bull. And going back to ancient Mesopotamia, you would identify in art the deities in an image or an inscription by looking for the ones who are wearing the hats with the horns on them. That's how you identify divinity. To sum it up, I think what happened on January 6th of 2021 was a signal from the fallen realm that this entity, Saturn, Kronos, Shemiyaza, is planning to return from the netherworld, mm -hmm. and they did it inside this building named for the Temple of Jupiter, Satan, on a day where Christians traditionally celebrate recognizing the divinity of Christ. Mm. I think it's sort of a nudge-nudge, wink-wink from this fallen <laughs> realm that this entity is coming back, and I make the case in the book that this entity is to be identified with Apollyon, or Abaddon, who emerges from the abyss in Revelation 9. Well, you mentioned two words just a few minutes ago, the Hurrians and portals. Now, that brings me to the threshing floors. David purchased the threshing floor of the Hurrian king, Arauna. Weren't the threshing floors circular in design? And if so, what's the significance of that? Well, yeah, and that was, again, another surprising discovery. Not that I discovered it, but, again, piecing together research from scholars who can actually read these original languages. But yes. Arauna, who sold his threshing floor to David when the destroyer, the destroying angel that God sent to punish Israel for David's sin of commanding the census, is actually a Hurrian word that means Lord. So Arana was likely the king of the Jebusites, a Hurrian people who controlled Jerusalem before David and his men took it. But yes, the circular form of the threshing floor is similar to the ancient Hurrian practice of inscribing a magic circle on the floor of the Abi, the ritual pit, before summoning entities from the netherworld. 
and we see another hint that the threshing floor was considered a portal in the ancient world yeah. in one of the texts, the pagan texts of the ancient Amorites called the Rephaim texts, where these spirits of the dead kings of old, the spirits of the Nephilim actually, were summoned to the threshing floor of El, that's the summit of Mount Hermon, where the blessing of the name of El would revivify the heroes. In other words, to be resurrected. And interestingly enough, those Rephaim texts mention that they arrived at the threshing floor of El, this portal between the realm of the dead and the land mm. of the living, at dawn of the third day. Mm. Wow. Bear in mind, that was written 1,200 years before the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I think the overarching results of your research is that the gods of the ancient world were real, volitional, evil beings and not just idols of wood and stone. Is that a correct assessment? Yes, absolutely. Call them fallen angels, which is probably Amen. an easier way for us to grasp the concept, but it's clear that the early church understood that that's who they were, and in fact, when you read the Bible carefully, for example, Exodus 12, 12, or Psalm 82, you see that God, capital yeah. G, God, calls them gods. Well, Derek, you've done a tremendous job. I've just been intrigued with you, with your books, with your interviews, and certainly with the second coming of Saturn. So, dear brother, thank you so much for making it plain and helping us all to understand what's going on in the world today. Larry, thank you for your ministry, and it's an honor, always a pleasure to talk with you. Derek Gilbert's book, The Second Coming of Saturn, The Great Conjunction, America's Temple, and the Return of the Watchers is available today. Order your copy by calling 1-800-652-1144 or order online swrc.com. Ministry President Dr. Kenneth Hill is here to share the details of a brand new virtual conference and to debut a brand new resource from staff evangelist James Collins. Here it is, the 31st of January, the year of our Lord, 2022. It's hard to believe, isn't it? Well, for some people it's hard to believe. I'm one of those people. To think that it's already the end of the first month of this year. I had many more things I had hoped to accomplish in January that were just not accomplished, at least not yet. We've got a number of things coming up this month that I think you'll have an interest in. One of them is this prophecy conference that's going to be held in the month of February. And so, in the month of February, you go to the swrc.com location on the internet, and you'll find out the names and the topics of each speaker and the cost of the special prophecy conference, which is going to be on the internet. And so this virtual prophecy conference will be held in the month of February. And in the month of March, we've got a special live and in-person prophecy conference to be held in Tennessee. And we'll be talking about that as we get a little closer to it. But I wanted to talk to you today in particular about the virtual prophecy conference and to ask you to consider being a part of our virtual audio, video, 
Prophecy Conference. Now, if you've never tried that, you need to try it. You need to see if you can learn from the video and audio. You need to see what it is all about because it's the going rage these days. You don't have to go anywhere. You just go to your computer and you sign on and sign in and you enjoy the conference. So go to our website, swrc.com, and look for that February virtual prophecy conference, and you'll find all the information you need right there online, and then you can sign up and enjoy it for the entire time that it's being broadcast on the internet. Fantastic opportunities. The one thing that I like about it is that during that time span, you can watch the presentation as many times as you need to, to garner everything you possibly can from the presentation. And that is one of the reasons why we think it's important to be a part of these online prophecy conferences. They allow you to see people and hear what they've got to say and to hear them over and over and even over again, if you wish, so that you can enjoy what they're presenting. Also, in this conference, you're going to be able to hear from some folks who have been deceased for a number of years. They've been in glory. They left with messages on their heart and they had recorded them, and we're able to play them for you. So it's an exciting time as we have opportunity to do that. So I just wanted to remind you of that, and I think that for you to take advantage of it is an extreme delight. At least it is for me to be involved in them, to see what God is doing through the means of the Internet. We had wondered how the Lord was going to use it for his grace to be seen, and we found it now with such things as these prophecy conferences that are online, these times of sermon that are online, and the fact that we have our Watchman on the Wall broadcast presented as a daily podcast in addition to being presented as a radio program. So it's fantastic to see how God's using it. And it's wonderful, in my opinion, to see how God has taken the internet and made it his own. Of course, he knew how it was going to be coming out anyway, didn't he? And it was because of his preparing us so we could understand it that we have the opportunity to bring you these prophecy conferences on the internet. It's really good. So go to swrc.com and check out the special online prophecy conference. You'll find it under our events pages, and it's right there for you to look at and to see who's going to be there and when they're available for their videos and audios, and it's going to be a great time.
Well, I want to remind you of the wonderful book and beautiful calendar that we have available. It's called The Twelve, and it speaks of the twelve minor prophets of the Old Testament. You have the opportunity to learn from their specific teachings. And this has been put together by our staff evangelist, and James has done a fantastic job of putting it together and making it worth your while to be reading and to be seeing what he has prepared. Now, when you use it along with the calendar, Dr. Collins has made it so that you can see a representation of what's going on far better in the calendar with the book than you can just in the calendar by itself or just in the book by itself. They're joined together and they're good teaching. So why don't you consider getting you a copy of the 12. If you've got a copy of the calendar for the year, fine, just buy the book. Or if you don't have either one, get them both so that you'll have them and you'll be able to use them in your study. Now, we've had multitude of requests for the calendar itself, and this has come from various prisons and prison chaplains. And we do this every year. We send them out free to the chaplains and to the prisoners. And so if we've got a chaplain who is in a penal institution that you perhaps witness into and you know that they're on our mailing list, they've been offered the calendars and they will receive them if they've asked for the calendars. But also now we have the book to go with it, and it makes for a very good study of the Twelve as they spoke forth with prophecy and they gave forth the truth of God's Word in that setting. It was fantastic. And I think it's something that you can learn from very well when you get the book and the calendar for the Twelve. Well, I wanted to remind you of those things, but it gives me an opportunity to say thank you for your participation with us at Southwest Radio Church Ministries, for your helping us with the Watchman on the Wall broadcast, and thank you for praying for us. Let's pray right now and close our time together. Heavenly Father, thank you for loving us with a love that never fails, and thank you for salvation through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And I pray, Father, asking you to work in my heart and in the hearts of these who listen, that you would use us for your honor and glory, and that we would be useful in your service, we pray. And we thank you, Father, in Jesus' name, amen. Derek Gilbert's book, The Second Coming of Saturn, is available today. Order your copy by calling 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144. Or you can order online, swrc.com. 
Tomorrow, James Collins and Larry Spargimino discuss James's brand new book, The Twelve, Ancient Messages of Hope for Today's Dark World. Be sure to tune in on your favorite radio station or by subscribing to our daily podcast. Watchman on the Wall is a production of Southwest Radio Ministries and is supported by faithful listeners like you. Visit swrc.com.